Hello and welcome to More Games Than Time. I'm Lee. I'm Roger. And this episode we're doing something slightly different because it's uh, it's been Christmas and we're all exhausted. We're not going to be talking about games we've been pl- playing. Instead we're just going to launch straight into the discussion, which is regards variant design and particularly solo variants. So, joined this week by Morton Monrad Pedersen and by Ricky Wilkins, both of whom may be known to many of our listeners, I'd assume. Certainly, um, listeners who uh, who play solo games a lot. I, I promise um, not to fanboy over Morton. Really. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's all taking place off air. <laughs> there, there aren't there aren't many of you. Morton, would you like to introduce yourself first? Yes. Uh, well. Actually, I'm Morten, Morten Peterson. I live in Denmark, and my living, full-time living today is to make solo modes for board games, mainly for Stonemaier games, but I've also done a bit of work for Feuerlandspiele, Van Ryder games, and uh, Fontales, Glenmore, Gaia Project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, been a solo gamer for 10 years, a multiplayer game all of my life. And Ricky? Wonderful. Hi, 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 everyone. I'm I'm Ricky. Um, you might know me as Ricky Royal, but Richard Wilkins is my real name. Fan of Morton and and Lee. I know you guys have done some great <laughs> games that I enjoy playing. Um, you've probably seen seen me uh, presenting solo games primarily on Box of Delights on YouTube. Um, and I've worked on some some designs of my own, mostly collaborations, doing solo stuff, but also um, a design I'm currently working on. Uh, which I'm looking forward to this year, if um, if the world of uh, production costs and freight let us make some games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just finished on John Company with uh, Cole Worley and Worley Kid Games, which yeah. mm-hmm. excellent. So we asked you on to, on the show this month. We were going to discuss the creation of board game variants. Um, as as you both know, as Roger knows, I'm primarily a, a solo gamer. Um, Roger's often at pains to remind me this isn't necessarily a solo games podcast, but it does mean that discussions often revolve I, around I, solo I games. I happen to do solo gaming as well. <laughs> but. but no, so the discussion would be about variants generally, um, but given both of your experience, mine as well, um, I guess you know, more solo variants than, than other forms of variants. Um so, just to to get us started, I suppose, um, question I had recently, um, you know, you log into Board Game Geek and you see the subscriptions of various things you're subscribed to. Um, one of them was to uh, an unofficial variant, solo variant I posted to a game a couple of years ago, I think. And there was an answer and a reply to it between me checking this thing. And the first question was, Oh, I, I can't find anything about the solo rules in the rule book. And somebody had helpfully replied, no, this is an unofficial variant. To which the original question, questioner came back and said, oh, right, you mean it's house rules. Thanks, that clears it up. So what's, what's the difference, and is there one, between an unofficial variant and house rules? <laughs> well, uh, it's a matter of 
how you interpret rules. Personally, I would say if it's in a rule book, then it can't be house rules. But rules made by a fan can't be a variant. So the way I would split it, and that might might just Mm -hmm. be my way of doing it, is whether it's one or more disjointed rules, then I would call it house rules. But Mm -hmm. if it's several rule changes with the purpose of doing something specific, then I would call it a variant. So that could be, Mm. if we take Uno as an example, if I play with the rule that change direction cards do nothing in two-player, and I play with the rule that blue cards can always be played, then those are house rules in the Mm. way I define things, because they they don't have anything to do with each other. If we take Catan as an example, you know, we, you roll dice to figure out which spaces on the board produce resources, mm. and you have a rubber you can move around to stop spaces from producing resources. So that's a lot of randomness in relation to resources. But now let's say that we roll the dice ahead of time, noting down all the rolls, and then use them, and we remove the rubber from the game. Mm. Now we made rule changes with this single goal of removing randomness from resource generation. That's a variant, as I see it. Right. You got anything to add yeah. to that, Vicky? Yeah, I was th- thinking about that question too, and um, it, it seemed it seemed kind of straightforward, but hearing, hearing different people's take is, mm. is always tr- interesting. Um, in that a variant, to me, would be a different way to play, but whoever has the game, wherever they are in the world, would play by those same rules, mm. right? It's, it's the rules that everyone plays the same. So a solo variant would be the way everybody plays solo. Yeah. Whereas a, a house rule is literally that. It's uh, everyone in, can take a game and make it their own in any way they wish, and only you play that way. Maybe, of course, you can share house rules with other houses. But um, So it would be a local thing. It's the way that you play specifically, specifically for you. And uh, that's something I would encourage everyone to do actually mm. because although there there is a, a sentiment amongst gamers to say i want to play the way the designer intended not every game i mean we play many games a lot of us but not every game that we pick up and play is a good fit for us yeah. um and we either have mm. two choices we we play it the way the designer intended or we make it fit our game group mm. and we make it fit us or we trade it on so I think house rules are great. I think everyone should have a crack at And don't be afraid of, of making their own house rules. As long as everybody understands the rule change and how you play together, and then and if everyone deems it's fair, knock yourselves out. I mean, a lot of people don't like um, conflict in games, for example. Yeah. So if you can find ways to remove that and it makes it more fun for you, go ahead. And particularly with solo variants, um, house rule it because... It's just you. You can you can do with the game as you wish. Um, you know, I, I've uh, we picked up a game over Christmas to, to play as a family, and and it was a great concept. It was a, a it was kind of a family game where we could learn to to. It would ask you questions about different places in the world, and you'd have to put your marker on the map mm-hmm. to to see where you thought this place was. But we didn't like the way the scoring worked, yeah. so we so we changed it. We made a house rule that we play this way because it made it suddenly it lifted the game for us and made it more fun. Mm. Not because the designer was wrong, but because it just didn't mm. didn't fit with us. So everyone should to definitely try to to do that to get the most out of their games for sure. 
I think there's a tendency, as Lee mentioned uh, with, with the with the go on BGG, that if it is officially published, then it is in some way mm. better than the thing that some guy just mm. came up with, even if some guy is the designer. <laughs> you know, it's not in the box; it doesn't really count. Uh, there, there's a guy who's been designing a lot of expansions and variants for the Firefly mm. game, and he has a real attention to detail and game balance. I mean. He, he's possibly paying more attention than, than the actual designers did in their later supplements to, to make sure you know none, this stuff is not going to take over the game. It's going to give you more of the same sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, I, there, there is no technical reason not to include his right. stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because as as a as a designer, you kind of f- feel a, a design is never complete, yeah. um, and you you finish it when the deadline <laughs> tells you to a lot of the times. So. Like you say, even if the designer's designed it a certain way as a player, you may years later find different ways, better ways to make the game better, especially if it's a personal house rule. And even with variants, I mean, it's, um, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, I, I, I did Renegade and we're looking at doing a se- second edition. It's, it will be called a remaster because it will be, as, as a designer, we're, as like, like any designer you want to make things better you want to listen and you want to change and even after you go to press you think right i'm happy with that that version of the game but there's still other things that you'll just keep wanting to change and try i'd go further so than that, i think you know speaking for yeah. my own designs yes i want it to be as good as it can and i know that as you say it's, it's never going to reach that point there's there's a deadline we say okay well it's just got to go now but the main thing isn't necessarily for it to be as good as it can but for people to have fun with it and that can include house rules. Yeah. At the end of the day, these yeah. are toys. You know, the, the gospel according to what I've ever written yeah. isn't that important. As long as people are having fun with something that I've given them, you know, the genesis, the, the spur of an idea to, to play with, then that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you must find that more when you're doing a solo variant that mm. you design an AI and then it goes to print and then you think, oh, if I'd have only done it slightly differently on this. And, you know, because you, do you ever stop thinking about it? a variant or does it continue to live on in your it depends a bit when i read about comments comment about it one of my ais on board game geek for example then it starts me thinking again of something i do in a new ai or see some i see someone else's ai then it can get me back to thinking about an old one but other than that i'm more focused on the one i'm doing right now right um try to keep my post there, but I would do some blogging, and for that I also think back regularly to uh, to previous works, but that's in a very specific context. I, I approach them when I write a blog post, it's about a specific topic, mm-hmm. and so I think about my previous work from the perspective of that topic. And Morton's blog on BoardGameGeek is fantastic and full of reflections and insights. So if you don't read it, then check it out. Thank you. Um, and presumably, if, if you have a great idea for, a, for an AI you wrote five years ago and this has now been published and so on, well, you're not getting paid for that. You're getting paid for the one you're writing. Exactly. Now. So, well, it, it would be nice to fix. but We, uh, we recently released an, uh, an extra solo mode free of charge that had gone through basically full development cycle um, mm. and we put it up free of charge. It was for uh, the game Roading Realms mm. where we 
we did an experiment and uh, it went fine. Playtesters liked it. The initial playtesters liked it. We liked it. But then as we got more playtesters joining the project, we found that several of them didn't like it, uh, didn't like it and some of them didn't even want to just try it because this concept didn't sound interesting to them. So at the end, we had perhaps a 50-50 ratio of people who liked it, some of them really liked it, and people who just didn't like the concept. So we trashed it, made another solo mode, published that, and then we finished the first one and published that for free. Because if you publish a solo mode, we can't have it such that 40 to 50 percent of the people who normally like our work don't like it. But it's fine if we put something up for, for free on the internet, saying some like it, some don't. Take it or leave it. Uh, yeah, then, then that's fine. But we couldn't publish it. Uh, so I'm going to circle back to this comment in a moment, Morton. Um, but just to summarise and sort of set the scene for our, our listeners, it seems we've arrived at a conclusion that variants are a more or less concise set of rules as opposed to a single rule that are publicly accessible in some form, whether in the rule book or online. And that's really what differentiates them from house rules, which might be minor tweaks and something that you do at home. Is that fair? Which isn't to say that you couldn't have a variant that is essentially your local variant because you just haven't told other people about it. It's just, this is the way our group plays this with a lot of big changes. But, yeah, it, it... it's a sloppy yeah. thing. Yeah, but that's sort of what we're talking about here. Is a, a variant is a, 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 a series of interlinked rules which are a different way to play the game. Yeah, interlinked. That's I think that's a good word. Sort of what I was getting at. So, following on from what you had started to talk about there, Morton, um, this when we're creating a, a variant, this series of interlinked rules. And I think your answer here would be vastly different from mine. <laughs> How much playtesting do the rules need? A lot. <laughs> I, uh, well, you, you put it on the list of topics to discuss. Yeah. So I looked up some numbers from previous playtests. And we have a very wide range because it, it, de- it depends on a lot of factors. Mm. But the lowest number of playtests we had was for my little scythe, which were 49 external places, that is places not made by any of us in the team. That's because we basically got it right in the first attempt. For and was, us. That, was that based on the variant that existed for Scythe? No, that was my little Scythe. No, 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 it had nothing to do with Scythe, basically, because okay. th- this was to be paid, played by kits. The yeah, yeah, I was just wondering if, the, if it was related in any way. So it was brand new work. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for, for Scythe itself, we had 353 external playtests done by 33 different people we only know via the internet. Basically, mm-hmm. we didn't know them at that point. Yeah. And f- the biggest one was Rolling Realms, where we had 938 playtests by 48 different people. Again, that's playtests outside of the team. Yeah. Normally, we will have hundreds of playtests in the team also. Well. <laughs> <laughs> to make you feel small, Ricky. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I do it full time. Right, that, yeah, that's an exactly. advantage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the obviously one of the benefits of um, a solo design is that you can play test it on your own. Um, mm. As a designer, you can you can 
you can spend a lot of time with it and making make a game that fits you before you invite playtesters to come and play your game too and particularly with yeah. house rules or variants that you 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 share with folks on forums like on bgg and so on um that if it's not a commercial project and you want to just have a dabble at making solar rules you can do so on your own um, and then invite people to to play but with a commercial undertaking it needs to be something that you feel is is worth the buck right it's worth people mm. paying for and you have a certain responsibility then to deliver them a product that that matches um whatever reputation you want to maintain um so yeah i agree i mean i think the the right answer is depends as morton said it depends um so for john company we we did nine months of 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 play testing on the solo rules um but it also leads into another question i think you were going to ask which is how how different the solo rules are to the multiplayer game if the if the multiplayer and solo rules are very much the same and you've just made some minor tweaks to make it work Mm. at a different player count then the whole play testing becomes united if the solo rules are very different and you're having to test new mechanics then then obviously you've got to invest more time in, Mm. in testing those mechanics so it really does depend more complex games with more differences to the main rules will need a lot more time testing it's almost like building a a different game um so yeah there there is very much it depends if it's a lightweight game and you're just saying right play the game but beat your own score Mm. you've done you've done it right yeah (laughs) so so, uh, yeah very much depends i'm trying to think for you have you done some unofficial variants as well um yeah yeah most mostly yeah just just for the fun of it right so, yeah yeah if you go to my website how, then you how is your how's your approach differ for doing unofficial versus official variants um very different well perhaps not it's it's more about what your objective is and figuring out what your objective is mm. so for example i've been drafted in to work on a project for another designer as a you know they they don't understand solo don't want to mm. do solo don't really know what they're trying to achieve with solo so they've asked me to come and help them. So the first, um, this is my project for, for now. I'm just about starting. So my first thing to do, because it's for somebody else, is to invite the designer to sit with me and get them to tell me what they want from their game and what right. what they what their vision for the game is. Mm. Um, because I want to stay true to that. And I did the same with um, John Company. So. Cole and Drew Worley, mm-hmm. the first one we did was, was uh, after they asked me to, to do it, was we got on a Zoom call and I sat with them and said, well, tell me about your game. What sort of game is it? What objectives do you have? What, did you, what sort of experience do you want the players yeah. to have? And I want to make sure, because it's their name on the box, not mine, mm-hmm. that, that the solo variant, if people play the game solo, that they're playing the designer's game still with the designer's yeah. objectives. Whereas if it was me just doing it unofficially for me then I could make it the game that I want it to be does that yeah. help yeah absolutely I'm just thinking um, you know I've done several unofficial variants which uh, you know more or less as you describe um, I might play them a dozen times to make sure that I'm satisfied it works smoothly they are only minor tweaks from the core rules anyway mm-hmm. so it's more about finding an appropriate scoring threshold say okay if you score above this then that's a win you're right um, I'll, I'll post that online and then it's out in the real world if anybody wants to play it and come back and say actually it'd be better this way as far as I'm concerned their living rules they can be updated right 
Um, I'm also working on an official variant for um, Singularity Sky, which is okay. uh, an upcoming um, space tradey game <laughs> nice. um, based on Phantom League, which was out 10 years ago. Um, so that's an official one. And because it's being, as you say, designed alongside the core rules, there's been there's more backwards and forwards there where I'll pitch to the designer and say, okay, that's I think that's what you're wanting to achieve. I think we can make the solo rules achieve a similar kind of feel by just making these minor changes. And then it has to go to playtesting with the wider team. So I think you know, that there's a difference in approach there. There's also a difference in the amount of playtesting that takes place. Um, because one, you're, just, you're making minor tweaks to to a game that's already published and been through that playtesting process. The other one is an ongoing thing. And also publishers will have teams of playtesters they can approach, whereas as mm. an individual, you won't. So you, you do have more tools at your exposure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Morton, you'll know about this. Is, is also, if you're doing something for, if you're designing solar rules for an existing game with a publisher, there will be economic constraints as well. So that's one of the first questions you'll ask as a solo designer is, you know, can I add more components? Can I add more cards? Can I, what artwork can we put on it? Do we, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas for people at home, you, you're living by your own rules. You can make those decisions yourself. So if I was doing a variant uh, for an existing game, typically you don't introduce new components because it's just a set of rules that people can play with. Whereas if you're publishing a new game and you're working on a new game, then or doing an expansion with a publisher, you can introduce new components, maybe a die that gets rolled or a stack of cards that make decisions for the bot, those kind of things. Um, so yeah, when I did um, Tales of the Northlands, uh, the Nog in the Nog game, mm-hmm. Nick, Nick Case, it was a case of I've done the game, Ricky, but I want solar rules, but no extra components. So you have to find creative ways and you're limited. And this is a great challenge. And it's part of, it's just as much fun as playing games. You're trying to find a solo variant from the existing components. And folks can do this with their own games too. Just mm. how can I play differently with these components? Um, whereas with John Company, it was, uh, you know, Cole says, if you need more stuff, we'll put more stuff in the box, you know. Um, so different different publishers will have different um, constraints that they need to put on you economically as well. There's a related question to that, I think, as well. Um, I mean, you were talking there mainly about the um, use of components in the game. Um, but I think... so. I, I expect you, Ricky, and Morton would have come across one prolific solo variant designer on board, on board Game Geek um, who writes very detailed, very lengthy rules often for a game that plays completely differently to how the original game was played. Hmm. And is, is that still a variant at that point, or is that a, a completely different game that just happens to use the same components? Well, that's a continuous scale, I think. <laughs> yeah, it does depend. I, I, I recently picked up um, uh, 1862... Mm-hmm. Um, 18xx introduction and I picked it up because it had a solitaire mode and one of the one of the key things about that game is that there's like this um, uh, there's like a bit a round of bidding that in the yeah. solo game is just completely stripped away it's represented by sort of patience like tableau yeah like, yeah. yeah like Klondike so they introduced a completely new mechanism into the game 
but it does still feel like you're playing the same game. And as mm. Morton says, it's it's a sliding scale, right? So for this, it was one part of the game that changes, mm. um, and it but it doesn't remove the whole experience of the game at all. Um, but I mean, yeah, one of my personal bugbears is as a soloist is possibly when you lose stuff from from the main game yeah. i don't i don't like that so if someone says you know you've got a stack of 100 cards you've got to remove 20 of them yeah. uh, for the solar game i get a, a bit a twitchy mm. then <laughs> so that's something like on on john company we had we had hundreds of cards and i think we were left with two which were a little bit flaky and mm-hmm. the guys were like should we just t- say take them out and i'm like no please don't take them out it makes me shudder <laughs> and it's just two cards you know um, yeah two I, I cards want... is nowhere near as bad as some games <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you, you i think it's important that you feel like you're playing the same game. For mm. me, I think it's important. Uh, I beg to differ a bit on that. Yeah, now. go for it. Um, because if you want everything to stay, you often have stuff in the game that is there, but isn't really. So in games where you have uh, cards you can play, and some of them are interactive. Mm. So if you keep them in the game, you put cards into the player's hand that do nothing. Yes. So you still have removed that element from the game but you're also removing some of the choice-making of the players because they will have dead cards in their hands instead of cards they could use. So while I hate removing cards, as you say, Ricky, then in some cases I think it's better because they're removed anyway because they then don't work. Dead. Yeah, and then, but if you've got... It depends how committed designers and publishers are to the solo game. It's hard when the solo game comes later, but when you develop them together... Uh, you can make allowances for that. So, as an example, um, Tristan Hall, Hall of Nothing Games, produces solo games that are multiplayer. And it, in, he won't remove cards, but instead will add a, a footer to the card that says, in solo, do this instead. Yeah. And he'll always do that. So, you kind of, you, you're using the whole game, but the interaction might be slightly different in the solo game. I mean, if it, it sounds like we're, we're verging more onto um, types of AI rather than variant creation here as well. But, um, you know, it, there's a sliding scale again, sliding scales of how complex your AI is going to be if you're wanting to go down that route. And then you can say, have a, an interactive card that then you, know, you follow a flowchart and says, well, it, AI player B will do this. And then, yeah, there's ways around things. There's always ways around things. Um, and it's finding that balance of what you're what you're hoping to achieve with your variants, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think I don't yeah. necessarily think that the um, the AI has to play like a human player would do. If you're having an if you're mm. having that kind of game where, um, like in the Automa system, you have mm. uh, you ha- you're, you you're creating an opponent that plays by the regular rules, but by necessity you have to break the rules every now and again because. You don't. Uh, an automated opponent doesn't have the complexity and the intellectual power of a, of a human. So you have to let them get around things sometimes, or maybe give them a slightly higher score. Or so you 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 do have to do have to change things. But it's it's about the feel. It's like going back to when I said to them, the first thing I'll do is talk to a designer and ask them what's the feel of the game. So for John Company, for example, it was a this they'd said this is a negotiation game. I can't lose that because that's the headline of what the game is. If I mm-hmm. create a solo variant that isn't a negotiation game, you've lost the game. It's something else. It's a new game. Um, 
so of course it's, it's perfectly valid to create a new game um, but it doesn't necessarily uh, achieve the target of creating the same game it depends what you want what your objectives are absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah I've seen um, so there are various you know star realms that sort of thing classic deck builder and certainly it seems to be a common element that the thing you have to retain is I want that card, I can't afford it yet, but maybe it's going to go away before the next time I have a chance right. to buy it. And it's actually not terrible if that's, if that's random, but you need something. And then, um, think, thinking of AIs, I've, I've got on my phone here the clockwork prints for Oath, and I've known a number of people look at that flowchart and think, no, I just can't do this. Not, not, not while I'm trying to play this complicated game at the same time. I mean, I think, yeah, that, it's that point about interaction, isn't it? I mean, without getting too complex, you look at a very basic level, something like an auction game. You could do a solar variant that simply says, I, I will choose what I bid for this, whatever it is, and then I'll flip a card and see what the AI is going to bid. And that, that would work mechanically. But you're losing the whole essence of the game of trying to second guess how your opponent's valuing that card or whatever it is you're bidding on. And I, I think yeah, that that can be something that's hard to achieve in those, in those cases. Yeah, I, I played a game recently, which is essentially the iterated prisoner's dilemma implemented as a game. And yeah, you just need humans mm. for that. So Morton, has, has there ever been a time when you've looked at a, a mechanism in the game and said it can't be done and, and just pushed back or... Or, or, or do you always try and rise to the challenge, even if it's uh, implementing it in a completely different way? What, do you get my question? Yeah. Are there some things you couldn't do or can't do? Uh, we've worked on between two cities and between two castles. Those are games where you either build a city or a castle with the player to your right and the player to your left. And you you want to build each of those, each of those cities as good as possible, that both you and your partner... Uh, want that, but you want both of you to be better than all other players. Um, so you, you co cooperate, but you're also competitors. I hope that explanation makes sense. But so the co the collaboration aspect will be diminished when we added an AI. Um, so we had to cheat a bit and have the player advise the uh, the automa yeah. for uh, for the decisions, but oh, we only did it in situations where the player's advice also would be in the automa's best interest. Okay, so the automa could say least. no. Is what you're saying? Yeah, it it also had some influence. Uh, right. right. So, but there would be a situation where I would just give up. I uh, I, I did an AI for uh, the mind just for the fun of it, of course, it was wow. horrible. <laughs> I, I would never <laughs> do so, something like that professionally and publish right? Some games just don't work for uh, for AIs, but luckily, the games I've been asked to work on have been reasonably amenable to an AI. I think the only example where we couldn't do it was Rolling Realms, which I talked about before, and Interestingly, normally you'd say that if you have to make an AI, then it's easier to do if there's not a lot of interaction between the players because interaction is hard. 
And in rolling realms, there's no interaction. Right? So making an AI should be trivial, right? Well, yeah, but if you actually make an AI play some kind of game, then you're spending time playing something that has zero influence on what you yourself are doing. So basically, you're spending time following rules to generate a random number and see whether you can beat that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in that case, we just say we, we can't make one of our usual AIs. We need to try something different. I must admit, if I, if I spend more time playing out the AI's turn in a game than I do my own, then I'll quickly lose interest. Yeah, we definitely try to avoid that. Yeah. We allow a learning curve where it might take a while, but often mm-hmm. once you've learned that, it should get be much smoother to run the, mm. the bots than your own turn. I completely agree. Although it's, I guess, I mean, there are games, it depends what kind of experience you want, because there are, there are many games where for great passages of the game, you are kind of just following a script and not mm-hmm. making a lot of decisions as a player. Um, so I know, for example, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking of games, oh, now maybe some, some, some GMT games where I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit on the rails. But yeah. it's but it's okay because that's what I'm expecting. It's it, the game is telling me a story. It's not asking me to to make lots of decisions, but it's telling me a story. So, um, and that's one thing that solo games have to try and deliver is is a story as well as a puzzle. Um, but obviously, a multiplayer game doesn't have to do as much of because the players are interacting with each other. I guess it's, I mean, I, I guess like anything, these things are personal taste really, aren't they? Of course, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Morton, you put down on a note that you wanted to ask Vicky about his process for creating solo rules. Yeah, I really, I'm really curious about that. You already, already start to talk a bit about it. Uh, you just mentioned that your first question is to the designer, what do you want to achieve, which feel are you going for, but could you walk through the steps from someone context you saying you wanna you want you to make a solo mode or you decide that you wanna make a solo mode? And uh, what are the steps? What what are your process? Okay. Um, well I think the first question I would ask myself is can I and, and, and is it worthwhile? Is it um, so it is, I think it's important to understand that it's okay to say no to a solo mode because not mm-hmm. not every game should or deserves or if I feel I can't um, create something worthwhile because um, it will you do have to invest a lot of effort in it obviously and, and you do want to produce something at the end that you feel proud of um, so I think that's the first first important question um, so there's only been one instance where where I've half said no actually but I've not been asked that many times but um, it, where I've said no I don't think it's it can be done. I think you've got a great game and it works as a multiplayer, but no, I think, uh, I'm, you know, let's not do that. So I think that's the first point. Make sure it's something you feel is achievable. And, and then, like I said before, talk to the designer and understand what kind of game they want to create, what kind of experience do they want players to have. Um, and those are the key elements of, of, of the game. What What's the game's USP. What are the bits that make it fun? Which bits do you need to retain, and which bits are candidates for for losing? Um, and then economic constraints. I need to understand what do I have to work with these? You know, which components can I use? Do we need to employ an artist? Can we afford to employ an artist, and so on? Um, and then it's um, sit down with the game. 
and start to play it and understand how I feel as a player when I'm playing it. Um, and for a solo, for a solo, what you've got, what I try and, and this comes back to the question four, do you want to feel like you're playing the same game? And I always assume that that's my objective, that I do want to feel as a player that I'm playing the same game. Um, and so when I do, what I'll do, I'll, I'll set it up and play or play with some other people. And I'm looking for those moments that are the crucial, crucial decisions, the points that you have as a player. These are the things that, that make it the game it is. What, what decisions do I have to make? Um, what interactions do I have to have to make it feel like I'm playing the same game? And then I have to try and uh, turn those into mechanisms that work in, in a solo. Um, but I don't feel you need necessarily, and this probably echoes to one of the other things you asked on, on your show notes, I don't necessarily feel you have to be totally familiar with the game um, to get cracking on it. Um, you know, I've already made a decision with, with practically zero familiarity whether I want to do it or can do it or not. And then you set yourself the challenge to do it. Um, it's a, Because the other thing to remember is that for, as players, many times the first time they play a game might be the last time they play a game. Uh, and... Mm that first play of a game is the most important one because mm -hmm. something about that game is, and that experience has to make you want to play a game again a second time and then a third time. So familiarity with the game becomes something else. That becomes what replayability is there, what longevity does a game have, um, as opposed to how familiar am I with it. Mm -hmm. So very often that first game, as a when I... When I experience the game for the t first time it's those experiences that you want to hold on to for the first play in the solo game as well does that make sense so those are the kind of yeah. so those might change as as your familiarity with the game develops suddenly you're looking for depths and layers and other things um and that first experience those first impressions are really actually very important, even though they may quickly become outdated. Um, so those are things that I want to, to, to use as well as then, um, obviously over months of development, you do become familiar with the game, but you've, you've, you've got to remember those things that initially attracted you. What do new players see? What are those things that are going to want them to play a game? Um, so I try and capture those things more and then make sure that those are elements that my solo game will retain. Um, and then you've kind of got, a, then you've defined a set of key elements really. Um, and yeah, and then it, it really is, is that depends on, so again, it depends what kind of game it is and how, where you go from there. But the other thing is that the important checkbox that I'll have on my list is I want to create a new kind of experience. Um, I don't want to just put um, soloists um, through the same old uh, game that they've played a hundred times before. Um, it, 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 I want it to feel like as much a new kind of experience for the soloist as it, as, as it might for, you know, if you're picking up a completely different game. Um, it's got to feel like you're creating something worth your time and effort. Just to clarify that, um, do, do you mean 
you know, it's a completely different experience to the multiplayer game, or that no, every no. time you come back to play the game, it's a, you're playing a different game. It's not just a, a puzzle that you're doing the same thing, the same actions every time. No, I mean it, it has to. So, yes, yeah, certainly play this, feel the same as the multiplayer. No, yeah. I mean it has to, it has to find a, a niche on your game shelf. It has mm-hmm. to, it has to feel okay, yeah. like a different kind of solo experience. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So, so solo gamers, in my experience tend to be people who play lots of different games um, and there's a tendency to want to buy another game and play another game and play a different game and, and seek out a new kind of experience Yeah. Um, so I think a, a solo game should try and deliver a new kind of experience um, and it may be that it, it, that means not everybody will like it so mm-hmm. if it's something new and it, but it's only liked by a minority then to me it's worthwhile because it, as a mm-hmm. piece of art if nothing else yeah um, but yeah, I think. But that maybe you could say that about all games, not just solo games, right? But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. What about yourself, <laughs> Morton? Does that does that kind of marry with how you do things, or do you, is there anything significantly different that you do? Uh, definitely a lot of similarities. I'm, I'm not sure whether we, uh, how far you you go along in wanting to have the player play by the exact same rules as a multiplayer. That's that's a goal we have. Try very, try right. very hard for right. um, either one hundred percent of the same rules or ninety nine point something very high. Hmm. Uh, yes, and I think it makes it easier to to if if the so like when I play pick when I design Renegade for example, it's it does it's, there's no solo mode. It's the game plays one to five, right? It's the same game. There's no if you're playing solo do X, if you're playing solo do Y. And if you if you're designing a game that plays one to five, then there is no solo variant. Okay, it's exactly. the same game. Um, but obviously, if you're playing, uh, but 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 that's because it's a cooperative game. If you're playing a competitive game, then invariably there's there has to be a solo rule. Um, so yeah, you, I think that's important that you do want to um, keep the solo rules the same. As the multiplayer game, because you you don't you, you the, don't want the, to be learning a second game. You don't want to be learning the same yeah. game. Yeah, and the, the worst ones are not necessarily worse, but it's it's not it's always a bit of sneaky when you have to go learn the player for mm-hmm. multiplayer game before you can even start playing. Yeah. Um, that yeah. tends to be a little bit because I want to I want to open the box and start playing solo sometimes, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> so, but it depends how you enjoy in, enjoy playing solo games. But yeah, if everything can, if you can, if you can say, on the AI's turn it does this. On your turn, you just do what you always do, whether you're playing yeah, one, yeah, two, exactly. three, four, or five. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I have one point. Have, I... have you have you come across Savannah Park that was released just before Christmas? No, it's the most refreshing rule book I've seen in a long time. It's very traditional layout. At the back is the solo variant, and it's got three stages to it. Stage one plays exactly the same as the main game. Plays 2 plays exactly the same as the main game. But Chase 3 plays exactly the same as the main game. There's no reason for this solo variant in there at all. It's the same game. Right. <laughs> yeah, just making sure you know. There's a yeah. <laughs> well, now, now they can say, with solo variant on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Morton, I interrupted you. Oh, yeah, just uh, one thing I'd like to ask Ricky about. I am a very staunch believer in the player not making decisions on behalf of the bot. And I know mm-hmm. 10 minutes ago I said that I did something different with uh, between two cities. So 
there are have been one or two exceptions for me, but only when it was in a cooperative aspect. But mm. what are your thoughts on that? Do you like games where you can where you make decisions on the on behalf of the bot? Because I find that sometimes you can have very small details in the decision process of the bot. They need to be made, but they can actually be rather complex for just a tiny detail. So it's very tempting to tell the player, well, you decide. But, yeah. but we really don't want to do that. So I was curious mm. about your opinion on, on that. Yeah. It, my, my gut instinct is to say, no, I hate it. Um, but... So, for example, I, I won't I won't name the game or the, the, the designer, but I saw a game, and and being designed and played, where it was a solo game. The player was playing, and then the designer played the solo rules out on their behalf and said, "Look, you play the game. I'll I'll operate the the bot for you." Um, and because they designed it, it, it was it became very obvious very quickly that they must have designed it doing it that way as well because there were decisions that they were making mm. although they might have been little decisions they didn't realize where they were just making the best choice for the bot instead of following a if x then y and, and very precise so no i don't like it when it says um just make you know do a thing that benefits the bot what i what I, because then you'll be you're presenting the player with a choice and they have to make up their own rules about well what's the bot going to do yeah, there are people but, who like playing chess, you know, one hand against the yeah. other. But I don't think that's a majority of people who would like to play chess solo. Yeah, it's, because it's also not a solo rule at that point. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll happily play both sides against myself yeah. if I'm just to explore the mechanics of the game. That's fine. And I've, I've got a chess set set behind me, and I will mm. play it out stuff. But if you're playing a solo game, and then you, and then the rule says make the best decision for the benefit of the bot, then it's, ah, no, I can't do that. But on the other hand, if the rule says, and this is where I think it's acceptable, is if you say, make a decision for the bot that benefits you, then it's okay. So if the if the bot's got three options, instead of saying, instead of asking the player to make the decision that benefits the bot, because then they have to consider all three, if you just say to them, make the decision, you know, you, you can make the decision, but to your benefit, then it becomes a decision point for the player to make. It's just them playing the game, and it's, it's part of the puzzle, and that's okay. Um, does that make sense? Definitely, and I think it's it's much better that way. Yeah, I still want to avoid it, but one of the good things about it is if I have to make a good decision for another player, be that a human or a bot, then I feel that... I'm taking out of the story because I'm no longer this character in the story. All of a sudden, I have to see the story from the perspective of another character and be that character. So I'm no longer the protagonist of the story. I have two opposing viewpoints. And it's, it sort of breaks my suspension of disbelief, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm no longer immersed in the, in the game if all of a sudden I jump to the other side of the table. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I'm just stating my preference, right? Um, so it's uh, a really interesting point, that sort of narrative perspective. Because when you often see um, Lord of the Rings, a card game, if ever you go onto the, the Board Game Geek forums for that, whenever there's a question, somebody will chime in with, the answer is usually just do whatever's worse for yourself. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which I don't like. I mean, I get it. And I know it's from a designer's point of view. When I was first trying to create an AI for Dwarf, that was normally my mindset of what's worse for the player. That's what should be happening. Mm. But you can't write rules like that. It's, no. it's just, like, you, yeah. you, as you said, Ricky, you, you can't be forcing those decisions onto the player. So sometimes the AI will make a suboptimal choice, but that's because it's following a clear set of rules. It's taking those decisions out of the player's hands at that point. Yeah, and 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 if it and if it makes, I mean, that is one of the difficulties when you're creating an AI. Is and I find that with like Pax Premier is that people mm. will play it and they'll say, well, why did the why did the bot make that decision? That's such a poor decision. That's really bad. And the answer is well, you without creating an artificially intelligent computer program yeah. with that hundreds of thousands of lines of code, it's going to make a bad decision now and again. And what yeah. you have to yeah. say to the player is, well, you've outplayed it. You've put it into a position where it had to take the bad mm. decision, and that's all part of the game. Yeah, what, what you're creating is a system for, create, for delivering a, a good play yes. experience, not yes. the perfect game for the AI. Yes. And, the, and in that, there are inherent compromises because you can't go down... Well, you know, unless you're writing an Avalon Hill rule book from 40 years ago, you can't go down to hundreds of pages of every little situation. Yeah, yeah. And that's why sometimes, parking back to your earlier question, Morton, is why sometimes you do have to break the rules because if you're playing against a suboptimal opponent, it's always going to lose unless you let it break the rules every now and again yeah. um, to, to lift its level of play back up again. So it does create it always creates a slightly different uh, gameplay experience. Related question for you, for you both. How do you feel, if we're talking about AIs, how do you feel about rubber banding AIs? I'm not sure what you mean by that, yes. Sir. So basically a mechanism which means they can't get too far behind. Something will kick okay. in and say that suddenly they've got a load more points or they catch up in this way. Yeah. Depends on I mean, how that, in, that in it itself is. is often, you know, it's it's outside of the core rule, but you're giving the AI game-breaking rule, basically. Normally, I'd want to avoid it and depend on the balance of the game itself. That's one of the reasons why I don't want to change the game, because thousands of hours have been poured into balancing the game. Mm -hmm. And if I start to mess with that, well, then I need to do thousands of hours balancing, yeah. uh, rebalancing. Okay, I, I'm overstating the case, right? Mm. Um, yeah, but then and then I guess the flip side to that would be if it's still if it's if you're still playing the game the same way, and it's fun because it is mm. fun. You know, these these aren't um, life critical systems that have to behave a certain way. This is fun, right? <laughs> if it's if it's fun, then then knock yourself out. You know, it's definitely. Crazy. If, if, if your playtest, I mean, this is what you do as a designer, and, and when you're develop uh, more during development, is just throw things at your playtesters. Say, look, mm. try this out. You know, let's try this, and then if it if it works, and they're having fun, then you keep it in. If they say, nah, that wasn't much fun, you, you take it back out. And that's part of the development process. Is you can, um, you can just throw different ideas. You yeah. Know? Uh, I think yeah. for me, I, I often see it as a, a crude tool that's sometimes right. necessary. If if, uh, if the AI is constantly, it can be abused in a certain way, mm -hmm. then throwing in this extra little rule that says, well, you know, if you keep doing this, then they're going to win. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I might use this now. I'm writing this down now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just thinking about the, uh, uh, the the realization that just just in myself, if, if I'm playing, you know, either either a solo or a co-op game, um, and the first time I play it, I beat it hollow. Then I'm going to think, oh well, yeah, that was a bit easy. I'm not very interested. If it mm. beats me hollow, I'm going to think, oh, that's too difficult. Isn't it? I'm not very interested. Yeah. And so, so the publisher has this impossible task of getting the difficulty to the point where it's going to be about right for me and for everybody else of wildly different that, levels of skill. And and people have got wildly different ideas about what win percentages are acceptable as well. If you look online, there'll be people that say, oh, the AI should win like ten, twenty percent of the time. For, for me, I'd like to win 70-80% of the time because, you know, I, I'm shallow like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's why we make uh, difficulty levels. Yeah. yeah. So you can uh, get what you want. Well, that was going to be my, my question to you, Morton, because that's something that I often struggle with. Um, but I think you do a lot of is how how do you... What's your process about determining... I mean, obviously, putting difficulty levels in is great. What's your process in determining what's easy, what's normal, what's hard? How do you go about? Is it just rubber banding and just saying if you want it hard, you add an extra twenty points on the bot, or does it? Is it in the scoring? Is it in the 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 way the the bot plays the game becomes different, or what's your feel? Or, or is it again? It depends. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which. When we work on that team, we, we try to make difficulty levels that are more than just adding a number of points. But if that would add significant complexity or change the game itself, then we just add a number of points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and is, diff- I, is difficulty always about how often you win or lose or is it about is these is can difficulty also be about how complex the rules like introducing more complexity gets yeah that's that's a way to do it uh we, we we don't do it much that way i think it's because our goal is always to just simulate the real game to the largest extent we can i'm trying to come up with an example where we added rules i'm sure we we have done I, that. I can give you an example from my own games. I know it's not what you asked, Ricky. Yeah. But, that's fine. Um, go, go, going back to Dwarf again, um, and that's got one of those mechanisms I just talked about, where as a solo player, the the AI player in it is going to place two workers. One of them is completely random, and the other one you've got perfect knowledge of as the human player. And what that means is you can make that AI repeatedly hit the same spot over and over again to your advantage. Um, so one of the things that, that you do in that game is defend against monsters, and you'll get a, to- a reward token for doing that, which is a tiebreaker, and you can also spend it in-game. The AI is never going to spend that in-game. So what we did to mitigate people just saying, like, go there and defend on my behalf, go there and defend on my behalf, and say, but if they do that 12 times, then they've won, you've lost. So there's a hard cap there of like you can't keep forcing them into doing that. But there's also three levels of AI difficulty in the game. And the first one is basically a learning game. And it's the simplest, where it's exactly as I described. Like, you choose where the AI will go. And then in the second difficulty get level, so well, he's not going to go there if it's if he can't use that spot to his advantage. And then the third difficulty level again. So that there's a bit more 
There's still a, a flow chart, it, effectively. It's, you aren't making decisions on their behalf. But it's a little bit more complex in terms of the overhead for the, for the human player in between playing it for a, a more complex AI that's competing harder. Okay. Okay. And, uh, in Tapestry, we had on the hardest difficulty level, I'll take a step back. Tapestry <laughs> is a civilization style game where each player gets a civilization. And well, then needs to score the most point, gain, gain technology, stuff like that. Um, so the player gets uh, a civilization at the beginning of the game, as do the AI. But on the highest level, the AI gets two civilizations. Mm-hmm. So it has two types of advantages. And this means that the player has to juggle a, a few more rules, mm-hmm. but not many. And the player playing that level is an expert. Um, so, so they can handle those few extra yeah. rules with, with no problem. And that way you have a dynamic system for making difficulty levels because if we, by now we have 12 different Atoma civilizations. So if you you have a lot of combinations on mm-hmm. any two of those, so in that way you can generate a lot of variety and higher difficulty mm-hmm. uh, without more, actually more challenging, changing the rules. More challenging for people that are familiar with the game already. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's, it's a, a difficulty scaling that's basically akin to learning the game. The more familiar you are, the more comfortable you are yeah, with rule set, not having to look things up constantly. So do we? So we do we think adding levels of difficulty is um, because we're trying to satisfy different people's perspective of win rates, or is it more about just trying to offer different levels of challenge to people um, to give the game more longevity? From my point of view, I, could, I think that it can be both. Right, okay. Um, I, I don't see that they're necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah, and so, some people are going to buy a lot of games to play each of them once, some people are going to go, go, go in hard on the one thing. But, uh... Yeah. I mean, what, a related thing to that, I think, in terms of um, difficulty scaling, is what you call these scaling things. No, nobody wants to play easy level the whole time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, conversely, when you, you try calling something a tutorial, people sort of skip over that. They go, oh, I don't need it. I've played games before. I know how a toaster works. I, I don't need to play the tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Morton, on, uh, you talked about Rolling Realms earlier. Was that is that a victory point scoring type game? Or is it... Well, uh, Rolling Realms is a victory point scoring game where yeah. you compare scores with the other players but so what we did for the solo mode there, well you can just play solo as a beat your own high score game right. uh, just out of the box uh, but what we did after we gave up on our very fancy and novel idea that didn't quite pan out then what we did was create the idea of a mini golf course <laughs> with with 18 holes and each hole is a sort of special challenge right. where you have a specific configuration of the game with a few rules that, that tweaks it and you need to complete it in, for example, two tries. Par for that hole is two tries. Uh, and you play through all 18 and, and gain a score. That's the number of plays you, you had to use before you beat all 18 holes. Um, so you still have win-lose criteria for everything you do, um, 
but you don't have an opponent. Right. That's another, I mean, you've touched on there another uh, trick in the solo designer's armory, which is when you're doing a solo mode is you, you present the soloist with a set of um, missions or objectives and you could, you could potentially, rather than playing against a bot, let's say you have to beat a bot, you might be, you have to complete this scenario, then this, and, and build up a story um, in that way. So, I mean, I've been thinking in um, the, the game I've been asked to do a solo mode for, which is Steel Coliseum, which is a, um, uh, an arena combat. In, in, in the multiplayer game, that's it. You battle against each other across different arenas. But in the solo, one of the options might be to string a series of games together into a scenario-based... Campaign. Yeah, exactly. So you can tell those stories um, in solo modes rather than um, just give them a, the same game every time with a victory point target. Mm. But with Rolling Realms, I imagine if you've played 938 games with 40-odd testers, I imagine you had a lot of data to tell you what was a good score and what was a bad score. And maybe did you use that data to figure out what was easy, hard, or normal mm. as a target? No, because <laughs> it was special because we made these eighteen rather different challenges. At least, well, some of for some of them we could just we could use experience from the core game, right. but some of them were quite wacky, so okay. we, we couldn't use data from normal testing right. for this one. Um, for example, in one of them, you you played with three, you have uh, eleven mini games basically, in uh, Roaring Realms. And you pick three of them, and everybody plays with those three. And so, in one of the, the mini-golf holes, which solo, we, we did that you take took three of the same mini-game, which are each three by three grids, and then we put them up as forming sort of the corner of a pseudo-coup. And mm-hmm. so you were playing a mini pseudo while whatever it's called, uh, while you were playing Rolling Realms, and for that, it made no sense to look at scores from uh, from the normal game. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So yeah, so you did use that kind of. We're going to present the solos with a, just a scenario based, if you like. Uh, yeah. Uh, play of with, playing. Exactly. Well, some of them felt like the normal game, and some of them got a bit wacky. I've seen something similar recently in uh, Cascadia, not not as a solo mode, but just as here is this series of challenges. So you, know, you yes. and your group are playing Cascadia repeatedly. Now try it with this variant or that variant. Mm. And and there's a you know keeping score mechanism right there in the rulebook of how, yeah. how many of these things have you done. Yeah, yeah, Cascadia is great that, to doing that. I saw um, it's kind of like uh, people guys played uh, Freshwater Fly, which is kind of similar where it gives you a way to play solo and then says well now here you're going to go to these different rivers and you've mm. got to you've got to complete these different scenarios but you're playing the same game but it just gives you a way to keep playing the game as a soloist you're going to have to come back on Ricky some other time and tell people why Cascadia is so great <laughs> really? Roger might correct me I, I think we covered it on the podcast and I wasn't entirely pleased right really yeah, yeah, yeah. we, we both it... played it a bit and neither I mean I think we both ended up thinking it's okay, but okay, yeah. I like it as a as a diversion from, um, as particularly when I'm doing lots of heavy have a heavy day at work. It's a great way to just 
switch off. Um, and, and, and we game. need games like that. Mm. We do, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Arrangely, exactly. uh, for some games like that, I prefer them not to have a bot. Right, yeah. Like uh, Sunset or Water. I don't know yeah. whether you guys know that one, but it's a very simple game with extremely beautiful paintings of uh, scenery. And it's just so calming to sit and, and play that very, yeah. very simple puzzle. And I would not want to run an AI for that game. Because that, that game is about, to me, it's about a re- relaxing puzzle when I need to uh, unwind. Just do something simple, D- despite look at beautiful this, art. Despite the context of this discussion, I must admit, <laughs> I'm beginning to think maybe I prefer solo games without AIs. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think you are off this episode. Roger, could we? <laughs> yeah, I and mean, that's important because I, w- one of the games I'm working on now, and I've, I, won't, I won't talk too much about it because we're going to, s- hopefully the publisher will announce it, but it, I'm creating, um, it, it's a mindful game. It's got, it will ho- hopefully have wonderful artwork in it. So a game mm-hmm. that you can sit down with, but I have got a solo AI, but it has to, but it, but I thought the game is about just experiencing in the, in the way that Cascadia does, and you just it's it's a, ni- a nice game. But it's a lot. So my game is a lot deeper. But the AI does it, it does its thing like that, mm-hmm. right? So you can just focus on what what you're doing, um, and that's great. In in other settings, AIs can be more involved, and you have to think about what they're doing. But that's the thing with. Um, like Sunset Over Water. I mean, if you've got a game that fills a slot on your shelf, and we're so lucky now, particularly as, as soloists. Yeah. When I started um, Box of Delights in um, t- uh, 2012, so in, um, we're in a 10th year now, you had to seek out solo games. And now there's lots of different types of games that we can play, um, whether they're a deep 18xx game or a, a mindful relaxation game like Cascadia and everything in between. So yeah, we are really, really spoiled and it's a, a great space to try and, uh, as designers, try and create new kind of experiences for people as more people discover, um, that soloing is a great way to spend your time, uh, yeah. Yeah, and d- different approaches to, to variants, whether it's an AI or not, are going to be appropriate to different types of games. One one thing I would like to ask, though, is she's quite possibly regarded as heresy, in which case, fair enough. Um, but we've we've been talking about paper type AIs. Have have either of you looked into some sort of computer based thing? Not, no, I'm not talking about playing the game on the app, but an app where you can tell it the basics of the game state, and it will then run a big decision tree that the player doesn't have to think about. Uh, I I haven't. Um, I'm, I'm a I'm a software engineer in my uh, nine to five, so it's the it's the last thing I want to do uh, <laughs> outside of that. So so no, I, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan. I do e- even of playing games on a, on a computer. No, it's um, I like the tactile experience of a board game. And but certainly, if creating an AI to play a board game is a whole different world. Uh, I mean, once you've got a computer at your disposal, then the rules change uh, drastically from a design point of view, I think, uh, for sure. Morton? Well, what you said. Yeah. I I was uh, in software development for 15 years, 
I don't need to sit by a computer more than I have to. <laughs> and I think it's, to me, it's particularly important in solo games. Because if I'm playing on lock, for example, with a group of people, and that game uses an app, then we only look at the app to play the game. Yeah. But if I'm alone looking at an app on my computer, on my phone, well, oh, I could just check the email. Oh, that, that was an SMS. <laughs> and I get dragged out of the game. So where a game to me, a solo game, is supposed to be focused on one thing for an, maybe an hour. As soon as I place the phone on the table, it's an uh, it's a focused experience for 30 seconds at a time, yeah. interrupted by ooh, yeah. new email. So I so think there's certainly a place for those things. Um, maybe just not for us folks who are sitting at a computer all day. And uh, but yeah, not 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 my thing. But um, oh yeah, there's definitely a place for it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's just not what I'm looking for in a solo game. Uh, and I one, think one of the things I like is, is that the ease of making your own house rule or variant or whatever, which you can't necessarily do if you've got this black box of tell it this and it says that. Yeah. So, yeah. so like both of you, Roger is a computer programmer. I'm feeling left out here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy doing it from on my own time as well, but I do regard board games as a very separate thing from that. But they certainly have the. I mean, like I said, I've got a chess set set up, and if I want, I mean, playing against a chess computer is something completely different. But that's why that has its place, um, and. Um, yeah, lots of folks love playing video games. I don't love playing video games, but um, but I think the other important thing for for people to realise is that that you know that solo gaming and multiplayer gaming are also very different experiences. Yeah, and, you know, and we know that, but you you you're not always trying to solve the same problems. And introducing a computer into a game is the same kind of thing. You're taking it; it's it's on a different plane. So with a multiplayer game, it's about. Um, the interaction that goes on across you're you're creating a vehicle for people to be with each other um solo gaming is more like you're creating something a pastime for people who you know like reading a book or doing a crossword puzzle you're it's a it's a different experience Mm -hmm. and it's very often hard because with a solo mode or a solo variant or, or whatever what you're trying to do is create a completely different um way of spending time with the same with, uh, with, the, with the concepts of the same box yeah. you know and that's different from um, maybe when you introduce a com- computer it's it's obvious that all that computer is doing is trying to simulate another person I think that's that's something that perhaps people don't realise themselves when they first start getting into solo games as well you'll often hear people say oh an AI should play exactly like another human player but then when they start getting bot- you know, full-fledged bots and flowcharts and everything. I say, oh, that's too complex. Yeah. And really, they aren't looking for an AI to echo a human player. That's that's not what they want. But it just takes them a while to figure that out because they're coming to it from the perspective of playing with other people. Yeah, but you know, yeah. an AI an AI is not going to tell you, you know, that was a crap move or well done yeah. or well played. You know, they're not going to crack a joke. it's a related hobby, but it's not quite the same. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so doing solo variants has got its own special challenges that you've got to, you've got to replace all that stuff, you know, like 
you know, when you talk about when one of the classics of trying to, 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 to AI is, is that you talked about the, the bidding or the auction mm. mechanism. That, I mean, an auction mechanism is there to get the players interacting yeah. with each other and to laughing and joking with each other. Yeah. That's not and what a solo game tries to do. It, exactly. And I do. think yeah, that, that's why bidding doesn't work well or doesn't translate well to solo games, because actually it's not about the bidding, it's about the interaction. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, uh, I hate to cut this conversation short, because I think we're having a really good time, though I am. But yeah. we have been talking now for quite a bit over an hour. Right. Um, so just to try and sort of wrap this up a little bit, I'm going to ask you both... Um, what advice you would give to anybody else that wants to create variants themselves to publish online or maybe um, approaching publishers is a bit sort of a step beyond that but yeah house rules publishing variants for games that they love to put online for other people to share what what advice would you give to people um i would say um certainly have a go uh pick up Mm -hmm. your and remember when you're when you're creating your first solo variant it's just for you um, so just sit down and have a go and if you're not sure what if you want to, to create an AI for example if you're not sure what decisions the AI should make um, think about what you're doing when you're making decisions as a player put yourself in the position of the, the, the imagined opponent and try and say what would I do and then why would I do it and then you've got yourself the makings of, a, of an AI uh, decision um, and just start, just start doing it. Just start playing it. Start playing it. Um, and and it's just for you. So don't be afraid of um, of being criticised. Uh, yeah, this is great fun. And and even if you just start by house ruling stuff, um, you're in the world of designing games already. Um, so yeah, definitely go for it. Morton. Morton. Well, I'll echo a lot of what you said, Ricky, and I'll. At the Silicon Valley motto, move fast and break stuff. <laughs> so don't get caught up in little details in the beginning. Don't sit at your computer trying to write the perfect rule set from the beginning. Just sit down and play, and you'll fail, and you'll fail, and you'll fail, but you'll learn from that. I can't count the crazy number of times I failed spectacularly. Um, and that, that's the way you learn, right? The... Uh, I've heard someone define an expert as a person who have made all possible errors in a narrow field of expertise. <laughs> so if you want to be good, you have to fail as fast as you can instead of spending a lot of time failing once uh, because you, mm-hmm. then you didn't learn anything. And next, I would advise reading and studying. So if you find someone who you think does a good work, uh, does good solo mode work, well then check to see whether they're writing about it or run a YouTube channel about it and study them. Play, analyze the games that have solo mode you admire and tweak them. What happens if I change this rule? Perhaps then I can understand why the designer made it this way and not the other way. Or sometimes you, you find an, a better way to do it and then you learn from that but you also learn a lot just by figuring out why the designer did it the way they did it and not in another way which might have seemed obvious. Uh, I'm sure both you, Lee, and uh, you, Ricky, have had people suggest things to you. Well, why didn't you do it this way? And you'll say, well, we did, and it failed for reasons X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Right? Um, and you don't learn that just by 
playing and looking at it, you learn it by trying to make the changes yourself and seeing what happens. Move fast, break stuff. Yeah, and, and by the same token, somebody might suggest something of, you know, have you tried it this way? And we'll say, well, no, but you're happy to, you know, but please do try it yourself, knowing full well that they're probably going to fail, but they have the <laughs> evidence for it. <laughs> um, okay, so I said we're pressed for time. Is there anything else that either of you are desperate to cover in this conversation that we haven't? No? no I That's think good. we covered it. Yeah, I thought we were good. Um, so finally then, I know we sort of did brief introductions at the, the beginning of this discussion, but we'll go back around again. Morton, if people want to find you online, want to follow you, where can they do that? Well, I have a, a blog on uh, BoardGameGeek. Mm-hmm. I don't up, update it as regularly as I should, uh, but there are about 400 posts going oh, back a lot of years. Because you spend so much time thinking about each post. <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot of time on each, on each post. But uh, it's called Thematic Solitaires for the Spare Time Challenge. Mm-hmm. So that's a mouthful. Thematic Solitaires for the Spare Time Challenge. You can, uh, should be able to find me on Board Game Geek, or where I'm also Morton, M-D-K. That's my username on Board Game Geek, and that's a good place to find me. Or you can send me a mail on Morton, M-D-K, at gmail.com. Thanks, Ricky. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Um, if you go to onlineboxofdelights.net, you'll find all the usual social media links and there's a link to even to a Discord channel. So if you want to come and uh, find me, you can, we can chat directly. You can get involved in playtesting. You can join lots of great groups where people are playing games um, and ask all sorts of questions and talk to fellow gamers and playtesters and get involved. It's a great community to be a part of. Fantastic. Thanks again, both of you, very much for joining us. It's been a really interesting discussion. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Very interesting to me also. Thanks very much for joining us. That was more games than time. Um, we'll be back next month with a, a proper episode looking at games we've been playing again and, and catching up on the the exchange of games from November. It was a long time ago. Yeah, well, it, it's it's been dangerous out there. You know, diseases and snow and stuff. Oh God, don't say that. That means next time we record, I've got snow to to look forward to between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back next month. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Yeah. <laughs>